Welcome to POP, the sermon podcast for Peace Lutheran Church in Gehenna, with pastors Doug Warburton and Tony Katko. But we're in a sermon series right now on the book of Revelation. How many of you who've been here over the past several weeks are into it? Okay, that's about 10, 12 of you. Uh, I'll just just share this, not throwing anyone under the bus. It's Tony's idea. Uh, On another note, so a true story. This week, I uh, ran into a talking horse. True story. And all the horse could talk about is the apocalypse. And he kept saying, the end is nay. Truthfully, I can tell tell apocalyptic jokes like there's no tomorrow. (laughs) Or I could just show you this meme about the modern apocalypse. I mean, some of you have seen that, and you're like, it is the end of the world, right? Like, oh my gosh, how will I survive? But I want to, in all sincerity, I want to put up a picture that I took from the island of Patmos, Uh, Patmos is where it is said that John, the author of the Gospel John, wrote Revelation. And this is a view from where they think was his cave. There is an actual cave there. Uh, But this was the view outside of the cave that he would have had while writing Revelation. So I want to leave this up because you can easily picture his mind just wandering as he looks at this beautiful Uh, landscape below and the water, and you can see how he he just would have been lost in his thoughts as he writes these words. So let me go ahead and read our reading for today. This is called, uh, it's called The Seven Seals in the NRSV. That's how they title this chapter. But some of you have heard of it as the Four Horsemen, and I'm not talking about Notre Dame legend. I'm talking about biblical uh, understanding here. So John writes these words, and they're bizarre, just to warn you. Then I saw the lamb open one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures call out as with a voice of thunder, come. And I looked, and there was a white horse. Its rider had a bow, a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature call out, Come! And out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to to take peace from the earth so that people would slaughter one another, and he was given a great sword. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature call out, Come! And I looked, and there was a black horse, its rider, held a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat for a day's pay and three quarts of barley for a day's pay, but do not damage the olive oil and its wine and the wine. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard a voice of the fourth living creature call out, come, and I looked. And there was a pale green horse. Its rider, its rider's name was Death. 
and Hades followed with him. There were given authority over the fourth of the earth to kill with the sword, famine, pestilence, and by the wild animals of the earth. I'll see you next week. <laughs> next week? <laughs> I was kidding. I was kidding. So obviously some bizarre words there, and what is John trying to do with this? And obviously it can be some challenging words, and, and I actually applaud Tony for wanting to dive into Revelation, because even though there are some challenging things, it leads us to ask some challenging questions. Martin Luther once said, when you prepare a sermon, he was advising pastors, when you prepare a sermon, you do two things. You comfort the afflicted, and you afflict the comfortable. You comfort the afflicted, and you afflict the comfortable. Now, Martin Luther was more comfortable afflicting the comfortable than I am, but it's still something that we try to balance. We try to wrestle with this. How do we, how do we call ourselves to action, but at the same time comfort those who need to hear that comfort. And he also loved to say this phrase, and I think it's an important reminder for all of us. We are all, myself included, simultaneously saint and sinner. We are all the time both, and often those two, saint and sinner, overlap with each other all the time, every day. And so keep that in mind as I go throughout uh, this sermon today, as I struggle with where to take what we just read from Revelation. One thing that I found helpful is this, this artwork by Albrecht, Albrecht Durer. He uh, does this piece of art. I know it's probably hard for you to see it, so I encourage you when you go home, look it up on, or look it up now on your own phones. Albrecht Durer, and it's the Four Horsemen. And I found it helpful because it does a good job theologically trying to explain what this text is getting at, what John's trying to tell us. So up at the top, now keep in mind this also, I should start by saying, Revelation, John, it's a book written by a real person in a real time dealing with real situations. As John was in house arrest, basically, on the island of Patmos, he was writing, trying to offer words of encouragement to the world around him, especially to the faithful followers of Christ. And so here he depicts the four horsemen, and in this artwork it shows at the very top, the, one of the smallest of the four horsemen is the first. And it is the horseman that basically deals with the fact that there is war. Now keep in mind, around year 62 AD, when they think John might have written this letter, there was some war going on on the edges of the Roman territory, and for the very first time in a long time, someone was standing up to Rome and actually backing them off from advancing. This was the uh, Parthians. Parthians, for the first time in their known world, somebody was actually making headway against Rome. Now, Rome had its bad faults, but at the same time, it's what we knew. And so all of a sudden, we're, we're faced with the insecurity of where is the world heading. And so we have the first horseman that deals with the reality of war. The second horseman 
deals with war also, but this isn't external. This is internal war, internal strife. I know we don't have any of that today, so it's hard to relate to. But pick, seriously, pick a news story, and you know what internal strife looks like. So it's internal wars. And then the third horseman, the one that's the largest here, is economic strife. Economic strife. So in Revelation, what John mentions is uh, wheat and barley, but then he also mentions oil and wine. And in John's day, a laborer was paid one denarius for a day's work. One denarius. And you could use that, and it would, it would be barely enough to purchase some wheat and barley, but the struggle is there wasn't enough left over to purchase oil or wine. And so that's why he references these. It's, it's a kind of an imagery of the economic strife that people, in particular, typical people, laborers, were struggling with. And then the fourth one, the most gruesome of them all, this skinny horse with the skinny body on it, uh, kind of ghoulish looking, is obviously death. And then below that, you'll see, is this large mouth that's basically swallowing people. It's the reality that we're all going to die. So with these words of comfort, why is it that John uses such graphic, violent images in this letter? Because that's what the world is. I mean, I know sometimes we, we, I, I'll often hear people that come to church and say, but I, I want to come to church to get away from the real world. <laughs> but sometimes we need to come to church to be faced with the real world as well. I think that's kind of what Luther was getting at. Sometimes we need to be challenged and we need to acknowledge the fact that sometimes the world is an ugly place. And so what do we do as a community of faith in the midst of that? We encourage one another. And so obviously John uses this graphic image to show that he acknowledges what the world is actually like. Rob Bell says it like this. He says, imagine, imagine that you're fighting for your life against cancer. And some of you probably don't have to imagine that hard. But imagine you're, you've just gone through yet another round of chemotherapy and you have very little strength. And you're laying in your hospital bed and you're, you're wondering how many days are left? What does my future look like? And you're just grappling with enough strength to get through the day and in walks a chaplain. And the chaplain sits at the foot of your bed and says these words. Life is like a box of chocolates. You know what you would do? If you're like me, you might muster what little strength you have, grab the chaplain by the collar, and say, screw your chocolates! Right? Because what are the words that we use when we talk about fighting cancer? We use words like fighting. We use words like we're like... Peloton bike ride uses, Pelotonia bike ride uses. We're in a war against cancer. This is a battle. Because you want to use images and words that match the intensity with which the situation calls for. 
So let's say we wanted to offer words of encouragement to our friends in Haiti. And I have an image here of Haiti. Right here. There it is. And uh, I love this picture because here's a guy that is acknowledging, wanting to document the truth. And we have several friends there that have told us this is what it looks like right now with gang violence and tires being burned and protests. And so here's an individual that's trying to document it and spread the message out to the world. So if we were going to try to offer words of comfort to this individual, we would have to choose words that match the intensity of that horrible situation. All the time I'll hear people say to me, Revelation, it's so violent and bloody and graphic. I don't like it. And yet, at the same time, we'll watch endless hours of Games of Thrones or Braveheart or Gladiator or choose your movie. And it's somehow, even though we watch the violence and the gore of, of those movies that try to deal with real life, at the end, hopefully, we find some sort of inspiration in it. And I think that's exactly what John's trying to do, he's trying to offer us words of encouragement, words of hope in the midst of awful times. John's trying to help us find hope in the midst of reality. So let's say we wanted to write a letter. A write, write a letter to say, for those of you who don't know, we support an organization called Haitian to Moon Foundation. And it's a great organization that helps Haitians help Haitians. And our boots on the ground guy there is a guy named Maya who's been here several times. So let's say we wanted to write a letter to Maya and encourage him. Or another case, we have a friend of ours who's been here as well a couple times who's in Afghanistan. Well, actually, she's just fled Afghanistan. She's now in a neighboring country trying to get her family out. Her name's Pashtana. And so you can deal, pick your reality, both are bad. And we wanted to write a letter encouraging them. We, we probably wouldn't write a letter that says, have hope, in 2,000 years, this is gonna take place. That's not helpful, nor was it for John. John's writing to real people in a real place, in a real time. And so in order to offer words of encouragement, we might want to take a letter like Revelation and offer it up to them and say, here, John is acknowledging the fact in this letter to the Revelations that, that war exists. You see it. You've experienced it. Internal strife exists. You know that too well. Economic strife, well, forget about it. You've lived it for your entire life. And death, you see it every day. It's acknowledging four things that are it's just a part of the world. We've never been able to get rid of them. Yet in the midst of it, what John's trying to do is call it out, condemn it, and somehow offer words of inspiration in the midst of it. So it's really a letter of encouragement. It's a letter that announces in other places through, all throughout, no matter what you're facing, love will win the day. It has in Jesus and it will in the future. Love will win the day. So maybe you're sitting here 
And I know I have at times and often sat and realized I'm comfortable right now. I'm not facing any strife. I live fairly comfortably. I don't really have to worry about paying the bills too much. And uh, I'm not really in any major fights or anything like that. And so it's blessing to be comfortable for sure. But Luther would challenge us when we're comfortable, and so would John, I think, would challenge us to say, all right, count that as a blessing, but maybe there's something you can do in the midst of that to better the kingdom. Maybe there is a struggle you could enter into and walk beside. Or maybe some of you are sitting here, and I know you are because I talk to you all the time, and we're blessed with a bunch of you that scratch your heads and wonder about all the injustice that you see. News story after news story, and you're scratching your heads, and you're wondering, where is God at work in this, and what am I supposed to think? Or, like this group of Ukrainians that we support, we've offered some gift cards to and tried to support throughout as they've found themselves in asylum from the Ukraine, living here in the United States without their loved ones who are back fighting. And and we could say to them, we know the reality. War exists. They know it. Internal strife exists. They know it. Economic strife exists. They know it. And they're facing death all the time. So what are the words that we offer to any of these? Or if you're sitting at home right now because you're that person in the hospital bed or who can't leave your house, and yet you're watching online. Here's what John would say to you. No matter what you're facing, no matter what your economic or terror-filled world looks like right now, love will win the day. Count on it. Amen.